Amen. Uh, so we're continuing um, in our theme for the year, uh, which is ready to bloom, uh, believing that the wilderness will rejoice and blossom, it will burst into bloom and shout for joy. And today we come to the end of uh, the Colossians passage that I've been preaching from, uh, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And today we're going to focus on uh, the last two verses in a message that I'm entitling from darkness to light. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, again, I encourage you to use whatever version uh, you'd like to use. Sometimes it's good to compare them. This is from the New International Version uh, and also the New International Version in Spanish as well. Uh, but let's read together uh, the word of the Lord. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. For he, meaning Jesus Christ, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now this is one of the things that we are told that we can give thanks or praise God to. And I feel like it's important that we begin there today. As we begin to talk about darkness and light as it exists in the world, exists in our hearts, it's always good to remember that God has been faithful, that God has brought us through things, that we are here today. And I think that as much darkness as we see in the world today, and when we see it all the time, we remember that it does not overcome us, that God has given a promise that we will prevail, that we will overcome, that it will not stay dark forever, but that there surely is a dawning, a new day, a morning, the coming of Christ, all of those things we hope for, that as surely as there is Good Friday, the darkest day in history when Jesus was crucified on the cross, there is Sunday, Easter morning. And sometimes we go through this rhythm uh, daily, and we go through it weekly, and we go through it by seasons, but it's good to remember, you know, that um, it may take a while, it may take a long while, you know, but we have to have hope if we're going to persevere, amen, as I preached about a, a couple weeks ago. So today I think about um, I actually, standing here in this place, think about the Ukrainian uh, people that rent the hall to us, and uh, the, the anniversary of the war is one year on Friday, and it's hard to believe it's been a year since Russia invaded the Ukraine. And uh, again, just one of those things where darkness continues on in the world, whether we see it or not. And yet I think about them this morning that, you know, that they haven't given up hope, right? That they believe that this darkness will end, that there will be the light that will lead them back uh, to being able to live at peace and to live in prosperity, and to be able to sovereign and rule themselves. So, um, you know, when it started, we prayed every week. You know, we, we certainly haven't done that through the whole year. But would you take a moment with me just to here at the beginning, and let's just pause and, and remember uh, this darkness in the world. God, we want to pray uh, for the people of Ukraine today, God, both those people living in the country and, and those living here, and especially those people living here in Hartford that, that um, are so gracious in renting this place to us, that we can be here in this room every Sunday morning, that they really helped us through COVID, God, and they've helped us all along the way. And thank you for the opportunities we've had to help them, to pray with them, to last year when we sent supplies to them. God, we pray again on this one-year anniversary of this war that you would bring peace, that you would bring healing, that you would bring reconciliation. Lord, that even though the night has seemed long, God, that your light would begin to break through and the dawn of your goodness and your peace and your love would arise in the hearts of the Ukrainian people and in the whole country as well, God. And we lift this up together, God. It's a choice we make to pray and stand in solidarity with the Ukrainian people. And we do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's an interesting thing. I think a lot of us don't like darkness, right? 
I think for me, it's one of the hard things about this time of year, the winter. It's when it gets dark too soon. It's when the sun goes down, right? It's been down for a couple hours, and you feel like it's 10 o'clock, and you look at your watch, and it's like 5.30, and you're like, what is going on? And I don't like that. You know, I don't like the darkness. I don't like the gray. We, we, it's why we light lights in the winter, right? I mean, we light fires in the fireplace. We light candles. We hang up all kinds of lights at Christmas, right? Because we don't necessarily like the darkness. We want to light things. Even outside, we light bonfires, and some of that's for the warmth, but some of that is just the light that it brings, even on a cold, bitter cold winter day, if the sun is out, for me, I feel better, you know? It's like I look outside, I see the blue sky, I see the sunshine, you know, and I think, oh, this feels great, until I step outside and it's, you know, 18 degrees and the wind is blowing, and you're like, ooh, it is cold out here this morning. But even the light helps in the winter. There's something about the light that we need. There's something about the light that is good uh, for us. But yet, if we're honest, sometimes the darkness is good too. And I know that sounds strange because in this metaphor that we use in the Bible and other places, light represents what's good, darkness represents what's bad, you know, you know, God versus evil, those kind of things. But yet in our experience, if we step outside of the metaphor a little bit, we know the darkness is good. Darkness serves a purpose. Uh, we all need to sleep and rest. The darkness provides that opportunity for us to sleep, for us to rest. If a seed is going to grow, as we're talking about blossoming this year, it must be first buried in the ground. There's something that happens deep in the soil underneath that is important to the growth of what's going to happen when that plant comes out of the darkness. And so even in our own hearts, there are things that happen inside underneath the surface that are important. So the darkness, the darkness can be useful. It, it can be a tool to do a work in us that is about to prepare us for a new birth. At Hartford City Church in this season, and I do invite you all to stay afterwards and have the chili, and then we're going to have a meeting where we talk about the vision of HCC and what God wants us to be and do. Um, we want to pay attention both to the things that are going on under the soil, the things that are nourishing us, as well as the things that are happening above ground, the ways that we can bloom and blossom in this new season. Now, if, um, if darkness uh, represents sin or the ways that we try to hide all the things we do wrong, then, then we don't need the darkness. Um, if the darkness represents isolation and separation from God and God's love, then we don't need the darkness. If the darkness is just a way that we continue to try to be selfish and nobody bother me so that I can live my own life, and, and what we do ends up hurting ourselves intentionally or unintentionally, hurting others intentionally or unintentionally, then that's not the kind of darkness that we need. But if it's a darkness in our life that allows us to rest then maybe it's useful. If it's a darkness that simply doesn't know everything, that's okay. If it's a darkness that teaches us it's okay to be quiet and alone, then that darkness is okay. If it's a darkness that really, you know what, for now, for this season, for this life, there's going to be night and day. And the night can be useful, and we can learn to embrace the night time in our lives metaphorically. For in the night, it is never totally dark. You notice that? There's always stars or a moon or a street lamp. You know, or we, you know, there's always something that reminds us there's still points. There, there's, still, there's still ways that light breaks in. And so maybe we can embrace things that are more vague and uncomfortable and we're not sure because we can see that the light does break through. In fact, if, I don't know if any of you have ever taken those tours where you can go down into caves I've done that a few times in different places, and you go down way into the bottom, and sometimes they shut out the lights, right, to show you how really dark it is. Now, that's darkness, 
I mean, that's nothing like the nighttime, you know. That's, that, I mean, that's like you can't even see the hand in front of your face. And what I've been told on some of those tours is that if you were to live in that kind of blackness, that you would go crazy within a matter of days, if not hours, that mentally you wouldn't be able to handle it. And that's why even though it may be night outside, there was always light. Even though there may be darkness in our lives and darkness in our world, there is always light that breaks through. Otherwise, we would be completely lost and, and we would have no hope at all. But there's always light that breaks through. And it strikes me that when we're in a dark place, the light often comes into our lives through the cracks, through the brokenness of our lives. The light shines through. Reminds me of one of my favorite stories. There was a man named Alexandros Papadouros and he lived on the island of Crete during the Second World War. And his village was ravished by the Nazis, one of the worst attacks ever. Um, the people of the village tried to fight back. They didn't have any weapons, so they just used kitchen utensils and, and garden tools, they said. And they were completely massacred by the Nazis. And uh, somehow he survived. He spent some of his time in a concentration camp. When he got older, he returned to the island of Crete, and he said, I want to begin an institute that would promote peace and reconciliation. So he started kind of a collegiate-level institute where people could go and study what it means to live in peace and have reconciliation. Um, he was an Orthodox Christian, so it's a part of the Orthodox Christian Church on the island of Crete, and in fact, it's still there today. And many years later, he uh, was lecturing in one of his classes. And at the end of the class, he had an open time for question and answers. So one of the students raised their hand and they said, um, Professor, what is the meaning of life? And everybody kind of laughed and giggled because that's such a huge question, you know. How do you answer that? And he paused for a minute and he said, let me tell you a story. And he told of the story when he was a boy in his village he came across a wrecked motorcycle that had belonged to a German soldier, and it was lying broken on the ground, and the mirror on the motorcycle was shattered into pieces. And he tried to put all the pieces of the mirror back together, but he couldn't. So what he did was he took the largest piece that he could find, and he took it and began to rub it against a stone until all of the edges were smooth and until the piece of, of mirror was perfectly round. And he said he was fascinated as a young boy by the way he could take that mirror and take whatever light there was and he could shine it into all of the dark places. It became a, a game to see where he could get the light into, into a very uh, dark spot, and he would try to reflect and shine the light in. And then he pulled that mirror out of his wallet, and he still carries it, carried it with him to that day. And he said, I carry this with you because it kind of became a metaphor for my life. And here's what he said. I am a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I do not know. Nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect light into dark places of this world, into the black places in the hearts of men, and change some things in some people. Perhaps others may see and do likewise. This is what I am about. This is the meaning of my life. We may be in a dark place, but there is some crack that is allowing light to come through. And for those of us who are living with more light, we can be like that. You know, we don't have the whole picture. I love that about the, you know, we don't have the whole picture. I'm a part of something larger. I don't understand the whole design, but I can do what I can to shine light into the dark places of the world. And that's what we need to do. You know, it's interesting that when I look at this verse again, it doesn't say he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's kind of what we'd expect, right? In fact, there's a place in 1 Peter that says that. But he says we've gone from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son that God loves. And I think we can play on that word in English, the Son, the light. 
of God is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Jesus Christ is the, is the light that brings true light into the world, according to John chapter 1. Jesus is the light for all nations. And because of his light, he makes us into a light so that together we might live as people like a city on a hill, he says, so that people living in darkness can see that there is hope, can see that there is love, can, can see that this darkness will not last forever, but one day it will end. And I believe that what Jesus does, and you've heard me speak about this many times before, is that he comes in often through the cracks in our life. See, sometimes when everything's going well and everything's strong, we really, we really don't open the door for God to come in. But if something shatters us, if something breaks us a little bit, if something doesn't go quite the way we want it to, it's that crack that can allow the presence of Jesus Christ to come into your life. I'm thinking, sorry, I'm just thinking about all the people I've met you know, at the two funerals I've had to experience in the last few weeks. People who ordinarily wouldn't have room for God, that grief creates a crack by which the light of Christ can come in. And Jesus is sitting with you in your darkness. And Jesus is speaking to you, I am here with you, and I will bring you into the light. Again, we don't know the timing. It's a process. It's a journey. We might be walking towards that crack in the light, and it may be longer than we think because it's hard to tell distance in the dark. But as surely as we see that light in the distance, Jesus is taking our hand and walking us towards that light in our life. The darkness will not last forever. For Jesus says to us where we are today, it's okay, I am with you. I will lead you into the light. Can I ask you to just join me in that prayer for a second? I'd like to pause right here and ask you to close your eyes just because that helps facilitate this idea of where we don't see light in our lives. And as you close your eyes, I want you to listen for the presence of Jesus. I want to give us a moment to listen until you can hear for yourself Jesus in your life saying, I am with you. It's going to be okay. For some of you, that's creating some very interesting emotions to imagine Jesus saying to you right now, I am with you. It's going to be okay. And then just imagine, listen for the voice of Jesus telling you right now, I am leading you into the light. I am leading you into the light. If you can, if you feel the presence of God, give thanks to him for being with you. And if anyone listening to the sound of my voice cannot feel the presence of God, know that God is still with you. And I'm praying that you will soon know his presence and hear his voice. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. So when the text this morning says that we have been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son that God loves, who is Jesus Christ, the true light of the world, uh, we recognize that, that that's something we can give thanks for, that we've been qualified, we've been made able to become uh, citizens of this kingdom, you know, to live 
uh, now in the kingdom of God and live forever in the kingdom of God. But the final part says, in Jesus we have uh, redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So I want to talk for just a minute about what exactly does that mean, that we have redemption, that we have forgiveness of sins. And so for that, I'm going to go just a chapter forward to Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to look at verses 9 through 15 to talk just for a minute about what it, who Jesus is exactly and what Jesus Christ has done for us. So I'm just going to read this. You can follow along. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Amen. Now let me try to explain that in three parts. First of all, all the fullness of the deity dwells in Christ. So who is Jesus Christ? He is God, and he is human. So when it talks about flesh, it's talking about the human flesh that we all have. Jesus it was a person. He lived on this earth. He had flesh. But all the fullness of God, the full deity of God, the full power of God, the full presence of God rested inside Christ. So what Christians have believed since, the, since for 2,000 years, the most basic belief we have is that Jesus is both fully human and Jesus is both fully God. And because he is fully human and fully God, it uniquely qualifies Jesus to do this work of forgiving our sins, of bringing us from death into life. Amen? And I know most of you believe that, but I want to be clear about what we believe about Jesus Christ. Any other version of Jesus Christ was counted as not really believing in Jesus from the earliest times. Some people are like, oh, he's just a dude, just a good dude. No, no. Some people said, oh, he was just God. He, he would never become a human. He just appeared to be a human, you know. Well, he was a ghost that got hungry and got hurt and got injured. I mean, so that doesn't really hold water as well, according to the eyewitnesses. But we believe that Jesus is both fully human and fully God. The second point in that passage is about circumcision. And circumcision is that practice that, you know, some of us know that have had children or had, it's what you do to male boys when they're young, you know, and, and it was a sign of the Jews that they belonged to God's people in the, in the times before Jesus. Uh, so there was a debate, you know, some people said, well, if you're going to become a Christian and you're not Jewish, do I also have to become circumcised? Which, if we're honest, is not a pleasant proposition for any man that's over seven years old. <laughs> you don't want to have to do that, you know, if that hasn't been done by that point. And there was an argument. Peter said, oh yeah, yeah, they got to do it. And Paul was like, no, no, they don't. And they argued about it. And then they decided, you know, you don't really have to do that because what's more important is what Jesus has done. So he uses this image, okay? And I know it's a little down to earth, but that's what I love about the Bible. It's like kind of gritty images sometimes. And he says, listen, what happened with Jesus and the phrase is the circumcision of Christ, that Jesus in his flesh was crucified. There was a sword put in his side. He was beaten. Nails in his hands and feet. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, all of his flesh was stripped off so that he could rise again with a new body, with a glorified body. And he's saying in the same way, what's more important is that you were also 
died with Christ and have been raised to life with Him. That's what's important. And baptism is the sign of that. So no longer is the sign of belonging to the covenant family of God's circumcision. It's now baptism. Because baptism is that sacrament where you realize that I have died with Christ so that I might live with Christ. And that's what's most important is what God has done in our hearts. Not what humans do with their hands. Not the rules and regulations of humanity. But what God by his spirit does in our hearts. Amen. It's the change that he makes in us. And anything that we want to do to the flesh that we think is going to make us more spiritual. Realize that Jesus has already done it on the cross. And because he's done it on the cross, and we are counted as having been through it with him through our baptism, then we can just celebrate that we have been brought from death to life. And how, how is it that we can be brought from death to life? And this is my final point. It's because our sin has been forgiven. It's because that sin and death have been defeated on the cross. It means that because Jesus rose from the dead, even though we die, even though we die, yet we will live. We will rise again because we believe that Jesus rose again. If we don't believe that, then there is no hope after we die. Then it is all over when we die. Then the darkness in this world will continue to get darker and darker until we can barely see the light anymore and we close our eyes and we sink into a darkness that is eternal and forever. But that is not what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. We believe rather that when the light goes out in this world that it will dawn again in the kingdom of God, that we will live forever because Jesus Christ rose from the grave because his presence is with us because he gives us the holy spirit because we choose to believe in a hope of resurrection and a hope of eternal life because of what jesus did on the cross for us and he said listen sin this is the two things sin everything that was counted against us all right everything that was counted against us it's been canceled and nailed to the cross and he uses this image like it's a bill that we owe Here's your bill, right? Here's your bill. Here's your, here's your spiritual credit card bill. Here's everything you know, right? And everything, everything that we've done wrong, right? Every, everything, right? And how long would it take if it was written down on the paper? Everything that I've done wrong, intentionally or unintentionally. Everything that I've said, everything that I've thought, intentionally or unintentionally, everything that's caused harm to myself or harm to other people. I participated in sin, which is a virus, and that virus is fatal. It leads to death, and I must be cured, and I must be healed of it. Otherwise, what I owe upon payment of this is death. So everything that's been done to me, every wrong that I've experienced, every lie that I've told, everything that I've participated in, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that's hurt other people, all of this, it says that Jesus, and uh, Irving, I need you to run up here real quick. It says that Jesus has taken this. Come on, Irving, run, run, get up here. It's taken it, and he's right, paid in full, amen? I should have called him up earlier. He's taken everything we've done wrong, however long this list is, everything that would separate you from God, and he said it's paid in full, and he's taken it, and what he's done is he's nailed it to the cross so that it has no more power over us. It's done. Condemnation. Who is speaking a word against you? No one can speak a word against you. No one can speak a word against this church. No one can speak a word against us because we believe that Jesus paid it all. We believe that we are forgiven and we are free. We believe that to love is what we're called to do and to love 
is what we're going to do. And because of Jesus on the cross, will we make mistakes? Oh, yes. <laughs> we'll make mistakes. But you know what? Jesus will come alongside and say, that's okay. You made a mistake. I got it covered. Man, if we could just get to that point, wouldn't our mental health be better? <laughs> if we could say, yeah, I made a mistake. Yeah, this really stinks. Yeah, this really hurts. But Jesus has got it covered. I know he'll take me through it. I know he'll be with me. I know I don't have to listen to any accusation, any condemnation, any word spoken against me because Jesus Christ has declared that it is finished and it's been nailed to the cross. And then he says also in that final part that all powers and authorities have been stripped of their power and authority. And I love the image. And again, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit you know, gritty as I'm calling it today. But I love the image of that as Jesus, as you know, was kind of stripped and beaten, right? And hung on a cross. That in that, all authority in the world was stripped. And I think there's a little bit of an interesting visual going on there. That by allowing himself to feel the full violence and force of evil in the world and say, do your worst, it will not overcome me. Amen. That we can also say, world, do your worst. I've got Jesus with me, and Jesus is going to give me the victory. That means, listen carefully, that means all authority on earth, every authority on earth, right, has no power over your identity, over your value, and over your purpose in life. Did you hear that clearly? No authority on this earth, no authority supernatural, no demonic authority, no, no anything, has power over your value, your identity, and your purpose. Amen? Amen? Because the ultimate authority in the entire universe is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ says, I will tell you who you are, my beautiful child. I will tell you how much your life is worth. The cost of my blood on the cross. I will tell you your purpose, which is to take my light, no matter how broken and small you are, and shine it into the darkest corners of this world so that everyone may know that I am Jesus the Christ and I have come to bring you life. Amen? Let's pray. First of all, I want to give everyone an opportunity listening online and here to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that all of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven? Do you believe that Jesus promises you eternal life? If you say yes to all those questions, then I would simply invite you to ask Jesus to come into your life, to be your Lord and Savior, to heal you and forgive you. And I'll give everyone just a moment to do that if you need to in your own words. And then again, I'm just going to give you a space, just a minute or so, just in your own words, in the quietness of this moment, just uh, respond to God by saying, God, how can I shine your light in this world? How can I shine your light in this world? And maybe there's some people, you're, you are in a really, really dark place today. Go ahead and ask Jesus to shine his light a little brighter in your life. 